Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Why does making friends as an adult feel so What hard? should I wear on a first date? What the date? hell is a foreign But that Why was not good. So what do I want my life to look like in five years? We, we want to know, know too. Since 2012, the Every Girl has been an online destination to help women around the world achieve the life of their dreams. Now, we're excited to bring you the same inspiring content with the Every Girl Podcast. Welcome back to the Every Girl Podcast. It's your host, Josie. And today I'm joined by Ashwarya Iyer, the founder and CEO of Brightland. I'm sure you've seen the stunning Brightland olive oils all over Instagram. And if you haven't run, do not walk to check them out in the Every Girl gift guide. We are huge fans of the brand and how it's revolutionizing the way we cook and eat. So we wanted Ashwarya to come on and hear about why she started the company and career advice that she has. But it turned into so much more than a career profile, okay? Aishwarya is fascinating and there are so many interesting parts of this episode from how she spent her childhood and young adult life never considering entrepreneurship because of the instilled values of safety and security to how she protects her energy and prioritizes her well-being with a very busy work life. This episode packs in a lot, so let's dive in. Welcome Aishwarya IR to the Every Girl Podcast. This week's review comes from M. O'Shea, who writes, Such a solid podcast. Absolutely loving the podcast. I just finished the most recent episode on likability and wow, that couldn't have come at a better time in my life. Something we all need to listen to. P.S. Love the giveaways the podcast is doing. I've been on a serious search for a cosmetic bag and I can't seem to find one. I would love to win the base bag. Thank you so much, M. I am so happy you love the episode and that you're enjoying the giveaways. Don't forget to DM us at the Evergirl Podcast on Instagram. That's at the Evergirl Podcast on Instagram to get your base bag. This week, we are giving away some of our favorite Brightland products that you can find in both the Evergirl and the Every Mom gift guides. Aishwarya will tell you all about why you need them in this episode, but her products are a must try. To win the essential capsule, which includes their signature olive oils and two bottles of gourmet vinegars, Write us a review and tell us what you liked about this episode with Ashwarya. This is going to change your cooking or gifting game this holiday season. Now let's get into the episode. So let's start at the very beginning. What was your childhood like and what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh my God, I was one of those kids that changed my career dream every single year. I wanted to be <laughs> a news anchor woman. I wanted to be a prosecutor. I wanted to be an optometrist. I wanted to be an entertainment lawyer. And it was all based on a little bit of pop culture, a little bit of what I was seeing and hearing at the time, like friends and family. And I think I knew that I always wanted to do a lot of things. I used to say, oh, I wish I could have like many careers. Like I wish I could be a jewelry editor at Harper's Bazaar, but then become a lawyer, but then become 
you know, something else. And um, I didn't see that. So I think at the end of the day, I ended up very muddled. That's so interesting. Yeah. Cause you, you don't hear about that a ton. Like people are like, I want to be a ballerina. And that's like their obsession for a while. What do you think? Like, is that a quality that you've seen stay with you? That it's like, you, you have a lot of passions. You're really curious. There's gotta be something with like your true qualities. I would think. I think so. Because even when I came to college, I went to, I ended up going to NYU and I interned every semester and sometimes had two different internships every semester. And it was because I wanted to soak up everything. I was like, okay, I have to work at intern at L'Oreal, but I also need to intern at, you know, a nonprofit and at a marketing agency and at Universal. And I was just really, um, I think there is that element of curiosity. I think there's, (laughs) this is the not so good side of it. I think there's that element of like boredom. And so I was like, oh my God, I don't want to get bored. So I have to keep doing things. And I think it's now that I'm doing what I'm doing with Brightland, I suppose I'm happy that I am this way because no day is ever the same. You're always on your kept on your toes, whether you want to or not. And I'm able to absorb some of the shock of it all. So maybe it ended up panning out. But I will say, coming back to your first question, I was never one of those people that was like, I'm going to be an entrepreneur and start a company. Like that wasn't me at all. I'm surprised I'm doing what I'm doing. And I I was going to say too, because it it is really interesting. Like you obviously, you can almost like see, which we're going to get into, but from just looking at your background, I think you can very much see the entrepreneurial spirit come in. But that's what's really interesting to me hearing as a child that you were so interested in a bunch of different things. I almost feel like that's an entrepreneurial spirit in itself is to like really want to try new things and, and be have all these passions and curiosities. So that's really, it's really funny though, but you were never like, you didn't grow up thinking I'm going to start my own business. And like, you never had any of that growing up. I didn't, I didn't think I could. It's what you, it's the stories that you tell about yourself, even if you see patterns looking back of like, you know what, that does make sense or what you just shared right now. That's like amazing to hear, but I didn't believe in myself in that way. I always tell people now that I'm living a much bigger life than I ever thought could be possible. Like I had friends who wanted to be Supreme Court justices or wanted to be president. And, you know, they now maybe are lawyers or maybe, you know, a doctor. But for me, I was like, oh, maybe I'll be the optometrist that like lives in the same neighborhood that I grew up. Like I wasn't able to think big. And so it's kind of crazy because everyone's always like, well, you need to think big to go there. But I, I actually was the opposite. And it took, for me, it was like my, my adulthood that it, it sort of kicked in of like, oh, you can actually live a big life, whatever you deem to be big. That is really interesting. You're right, because you often hear it's like the manifestation of like what you are thinking now will happen, but but that it was a later on in life thing. And before that, you didn't even think that that was a possibility. And we're definitely going to dive all into your career. And I want to know everything about like how even how that kind of almost like identity came to be that you started thinking, okay, I can start a company. But why did you think you couldn't when you were little just because you had no kind of examples of it? Or what was it? Well, I'm the child of immigrants and we immigrated to America when I was five months old. And I think that there's this, uh, my parents immigrated from South, and I immigrated from South India. And I think there's an element of wanting to be safe and secure. And entrepreneurship is not exactly safety and security. So I think that maybe it wasn't a value that was really talked about in my house, even though back in India, my mother's father, my grandfather, 
was an entrepreneur and did take all the risks and did everything. And he was actually someone that I looked up to so much. I went to India almost every summer growing up and spent time with my grandparents. And I just adored him and thought he was like the coolest person on the planet. But you know, my life in the United States, I think it was like very much about finding safety, security, comfort. And I think because of that, I I didn't think that, you know, entrepreneurship would even be a part of my journey or story. That totally makes sense, right? That it's like the value is safety, security, stability. And then to have like almost the other end of your grandpa that you could look to, like it it is so interesting to see all those things kind of working in your brain growing up. So when you did go to that phase, you said you went to NYU. What were you thinking? I know obviously you had all the different internships and you're trying different things. Was there like one idea of, okay, this is what I want to study or this is what I want to go into? Or did you feel so unsure until you graduated? Oh my God, I continued that pattern. I joined the Gallatin School of Individualized Study, where basically you create your own concentration. No two people have the same major or concentration. And so mine was media and globalization with an emphasis on South Asian gender studies. Wow, that's cool. It's really cool. It's a very special school. It's really small. There's only a few hundred people that are a part of it within the larger NYU kind of different schools. And you get to take classes in almost every other school. So I took like a law school class. I took economics classes. I took liberal arts classes. I took a class at Tisch, which is the fine arts school. And you thread together this really interesting concentration. And then you have a couple of professors who serve as your advisors, who basically like, you basically have this like culmination of your academic career where you write like a mini dissertation. And that's how you graduate, kind of bringing it all together. It's funny, like, I guess I just wanted to be able to cherry pick and take classes from everywhere and do a little bit of everything. And that's exactly what I did. <laughs> that is fascinating. I didn't even know programs like that existed. So that is, is sounds really fun and like really fulfilling to just get to kind of try a bunch of different things. So a lot of women listening are around that like post-grad young twenties age where they're, you know, trying to figure out what their next steps are, what they want to do. So where were you when you were 22 after you graduated, you finished the program? How did you get from that to your first job out of college? Oh my God. Well, <laughs> I graduated into the recession in 2008. And so I had a job and then I got laid off three months in after Lehman Brothers collapsed. And living in New York City, like the financial industry was just totally like decimated. And that rip, I wasn't in finance, but it just ripple affected all of us. And then I couldn't find a job for another eight months. Like 2009 was just totally like, it was just, and so what did I do during that time? I ended up getting an internship just to say, you know what, let me, let me do something. And then um, I had to move back home because I couldn't afford to live in New York City anymore came back and I was just applying to jobs like crazy. And someone that I was talking to, like a mentor of mine was like, you know, the New York startup scene is starting to like, there's something happening there. There's some startups. Maybe you should look into that. And I found this like startup job board. And there was this job that I found at this like tech company and I applied, got the job and it changed my life because I got to see it was my first time working at a startup. We went from 30 to 200 people. I got to see what it was like to like build company culture. I was part of like the culture committee. I was there for about four years. 
I grew in so many ways at this company. And to this day, I think that it really served as like a formidable, just sort of like benchmark for me of like how I approach speed and nimbleness and just being fast and iterative when like thinking about building Brightland and just, you know, how I think about, you know, companies. Yeah. I, that's so fascinating to be on like the, the culture committee. Did you learn a lot that I assume you now apply to Brightland or like, what was that experience like for you working with the culture of that company? I mean, at the end of the day, the thing that always rung true, no matter how many people we were like 30 to 200, it was, it always comes from the top. Interesting. And that energy, you cannot escape it. You can have a culture committee of two people, 20 people, but it always comes from the top. And that energy that that person radiates reflects into the organization in so many ways that are seen and unseen. And so that was really, really like something that I don't think I understood until I saw that and was a part of like an org, like a culture committee, you know, sort of a, a subgroup within the company. And then the second thing was like, you know, you can have all the pin ping pong tables and like beer pong tournament tournaments yeah. and all those things. But at the end of the day, it's like, how are you showing up for yourself and for your team on a day to day? How are you wow. really showing up? I know sometimes companies think like culture is like the happy hours and which I think is so important. Like you obviously want to feel part of the community and get to know each other, but that it's so deeply integrated of what is from the top down. How are we showing up as individuals, as a team? Like that was probably a really powerful lesson for sure. What was your next steps after that? Walk me through like, so you said for four years you were there. Did you like what you were doing or were you kind of like, I'm ready for the next challenge. How did you feel leaving? Yeah, I loved what I was doing. I was definitely ready for the next challenge. And so I um, went to uh, a venture capital firm and was, you know, working with their portfolio companies on marketing and public affairs and communications. And I was there for about two years. And all I can say is I really missed being there. It was very cushy and lovely, but I really missed actually building and operating and like doing stuff. Um, so I was really excited to, to like do. And so at that point, I got a job at a startup in LA. And so I moved out here. But around that time as well, I started thinking about the world of olive oil, started paying attention to like what I was eating a lot more than I ever had, was paying attention to like cooking at home more. And so the kernels of Brightland, I guess, were beginning to form. But again, I didn't believe in myself enough to think that like I could do anything about it. So it was just very much in the back of my head. That's really interesting that, yeah, you had the idea, but it sounds like it took a little bit to get the actual like, oh, I can do this, like that it's actually possible to start it. I'm actually really curious too, like knowing that you've had this very successful career in tech and then obviously started your own company, that's very different. Did any skills or lessons you learned from like your like first life or that kind of like first stretch of your career help you out when launching this business? Definitely. I think like the lessons in being at a startup and learning how to work quickly and being nimble and being scrappy, knowing that perfection can be the enemy of done and good. Like sometimes you need to put things out there into the world and not just like wait and mull over them. Speed is like really everything. I think a lot of those things really stayed at home with me. I think everything we talked about culture wise Mm -hmm. has really stuck with me. 
And then I think, I think communications and marketing in general, just as a discipline, I carried, even though what I was working on was like finance products or consumer technology, I was able to at least thread the line a little bit for a consumable like Brightland. I think that's really good advice because there's so many people who are like, I have no experience in either like entrepreneurship or this totally new product. Like I have no experience in beauty or, you know, whatever you want to get into. So to, to know that there's always skills you can take from your previous role going into the next is, yeah, I think that's always a powerful example. Uh, so, and those are like a lot of good ones. Like, it's not even just like, oh, I, you know, learn kind of like the basics, like that you actually took some concrete skills and lessons you learned that have helped you out in your company. So that's really interesting. And then there's like the philosophical stuff, like (laughs) being comfortable with the unknown, being comfortable with discomfort. Like if you, if your job right now, you're in any kind of job and that skill is required of you, like hone that muscle in because if you decide to go and start a company, you're going to feel that 24 seven. So the stronger that muscle is by the time you're like jumping off the deep end to start something, you're in a really good place. That's such a good point. Yeah, and that's like a huge skill for sure. And and one that a lot of people huge. struggle for with. So, yeah. It's so fascinating that you you say up until kind of a certain point, you didn't think it was possible. It kind of just wasn't in your worldview to be an entrepreneur, to start your own company. What was it that changed that actually made you think, okay, not only is this possible, but I'm going to go for it. I worked with a life coach for about three months and she had me read a book called Silencing Your Inner Critic by Hal and Sidra Stone. And I highly recommend it for anyone who's listening. It was really instrumental in like unwinding some of the stories that I had been telling about myself to myself. I think the next piece of it was I heard a couple of entrepreneurs talking about how if they were, you know, if they live to be 75, they don't want to have regrets. And I kept thinking about that word regret. I kept thinking about how I owe it to myself and to my future self to at least try. And what's the worst thing that could happen? So it was that risk reward sort of assessment. And yeah, it was honestly, it was like trusting myself and my instincts. And that took time. Yeah, I was going to say, is that something that you think comes with just like having more experience and as a you know working person or like, did you, obviously it sounds like working with a life coach and doing a lot of work on yourself really helped, but what advice would you give for other people who are in that point where they're like, I just don't believe what could be possible for me? What could push them to the point that you got to of it's possible and I'm going to do it? I think it's spending time thinking about why you feel that way. What are you fearing? Why are you fearing it? And really being like, okay, well, I fear failure. Why do you fear failure? Well, I fear failure because everyone's going to laugh at me. Why do you care if everyone's going to laugh at you? Well, it's because, you know, my parents maybe are going to be disappointed. Like you need to get to the root of it, I think is the first thing I would say. And then I think the second is to create space for yourself to even like be able to dream first, like write down your biggest, like some people, like I think a lot of people are so afraid to dream. I was afraid to dream big. It just feels almost too audacious. Yeah. People will say it's like silly or it's kind of like indulgent and, and, and all those things. So I think that's really great advice to get really honest with yourself of, what are those lenses that are holding me back that I actually could accomplish so much more without them? And I think those are two really good exercises to help people move past those. 
Okay, let's dive into Brightland. I am personally a huge fan. Like I, I could just geek out over your products all day long. I think you have revolutionized the way we think of cooking. But can you talk a little bit about how the idea came to be? Why olive oil? Why start there? Tell me about the conception of this amazing brand you have. Yes. First of all, thank you so much for saying that. It's just such a labor of love. So it means it means the world to hear that. Um, yeah. I mean, I was living in New York and started cooking more. I was like finally saying goodbye to the 600 restaurant spreadsheet that I had and <laughs> started spending more time in the kitchen. And I realized that, you know, we're talking a lot about where our kale is coming from, where our meat's coming from, dairy alternatives and cheese and, you know, whatever alternatives. And I felt like there was this entire category within pantry of like foundational food staples, like oils, vinegars, honeys, syrups, like you name it, that are serving this like really foundational purpose in our food. They're in every single meal that we're cooking, but nobody knows where they're coming from, how they're made. And when I went to grocery stores, I never knew what to buy. Everything looked the same. I didn't see what I wanted to see on the store shelves. And so I think for me, and then I started reading about like the history of quality issues that have existed in olive oil, the history of quality issues that have existed in honey. I was like, what is this? There's actually a Netflix documentary called Rotten and they dive into the honey industry and talk about how honey is the third most fraudulent food in the world. So I was like, what is going on here? And I started asking friends, you know, what olive oils are you using or what, you know, vinegars are you using? And nobody could tell me what brand they were using. Everyone's like, oh my God, I love using that. Like it adds so much zest to my meals. I'm like, okay, well, what are you using? And they're like, I don't know. It's in like an ugly brown or green bottle. Oh my God, I think there's something here. And that was the kernel. But then when I moved to California, I started visiting wineries because, you know, of course we're in California, but there would be olive farms that would be like either attached to the winery or would be across the street. So I started visiting these olive farms and realized that it's these like really wonderful, earnest mom and pop farms that are creating beautiful olive oil right here in California because it's a Mediterranean climate, super high polyphenol, extra virgin, first cold pressed, doing it all the right way. But they're kind of struggling. Like they were like, nobody wants to pay premium prices. California labor, we're not getting the subsidies that big ag does. We're small agricultural producers. This isn't a money-making scheme for us. And we're kind of struggling. And that's where the pieces started clicking for me of like, oh my God, what if we get to support these farms and create a brand that comes from these farmers and the work they're doing? And everything we do is direct source. So we work directly with the farmer. And I'm so excited. So Brightland is like three and a half years old. And I'm really excited to share that it's come full circle in some ways because some of our farm partners just planted 50,000 trees in California to support Brightland's continued growth. Oh my God. That is like a mind-blowing, amazing story. Like that really is so cool. How And it, it came to be so naturally, obviously, like you, it was just started out of curiosity and then you found that there was this um, missing kind of product out there, that there are these farms that are already doing the work. It's just about kind of like getting it to more consumers and getting people more aware. So that is amazing. And you're so right that 
like people don't really like look into their olive oils, their vinegars, but, but it's so true. It's like, well, I want to know exactly where my meat's coming from and exactly where, you know, which farm the eggs are coming from and the fruits and veggies. And so it totally makes sense that there was this whole kind of pantry category totally missing. Did you notice anything like within your own, whether it was like health or how you felt um, once you did start changing out these products to be the olive oils that now have become Brightland? I think what's insane is the number of customer emails we get saying exactly that. Like we get so many customer emails saying, I've started using your products and I don't have stomach aches anymore, or I used to have health issues and they've gone away. Look, we're not, <laughs> we're, we're not like a wellness brand that's going to spout like, oh, we're going to treat and, you know, solve every issue. But, you know, clearly there is something to be said about quality and, you know, ethical sourcing. So yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. I mean, you hear all the time, like the benefits of olive oil and that olive oil is like such a, a, powerhouse ingredient and that there's so much there. And I've even heard like, you know, doctors on podcasts talking about olive oil, but it's so true that it's, you know, the olive oil that all of us can just like go to the grocery store and buy for $2. That's not organic and, you know, not extra virgin and and whatever else that it's really, it doesn't have those benefits that we're hearing olive oil does. So sourcing matters so, so much. And you really are offering that to people on a much more convenient, accessible basis than any other brand. I mean, you are literally the only olive oil brand I know off the top of my head. So obviously there was that missing that you're bringing that to a lot of people, which is, like I said, that's the part that I think is revolutionizing cooking. What was the hardest part about starting your own brand of products? I'm sure that there were challenges, especially with the sourcing. And I'm sure you got a lot of interesting stories, but what was really hard for you about that? I think what was really hard for me was my strength was my weakness in that like the speed and perfect is the enemy of the good. Like everything I talked about earlier, I had never worked in physical products before. So I was like, cool, I'm sure the label, like we're not creating a car. Like this is a bottle with a label. We're working with amazing farms that are, you know, making the olive oil, like we're good. And I didn't triple check how our initial bottles interacted with our labels And three weeks before launch, all of the labels and the bottles were all scrunched up and totally like would not stick. Or if they stuck, they created all these bumps and creases. And it was a complete disaster. Uh, So that's just a fun example. And this has happened dozens of times, like different permutations of messes. And it's a perfect example of... um, I would have never, if somebody a year prior to that, when I was like starting to work on it, had told me that that's what would happen, I would have never guessed. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that there's just, I mean, I know you hear about that, that having your own business is just kind of like cleaning up messes constantly and and fixing things all the time. Is there anything kind of like looking back now that you're, you know, have this successful growth, is there anything you would have done differently at the very start? I mean, I would have double-checked the label in the bottle. Like, that was a big <laughs> yeah. one. Um, yeah, that's a good example. I think, honestly, I'm not sure. I think I think I was... I'm glad that I was naive, as naive as I was. Because maybe if I had known too much, I'm not sure if I would have started it. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah, I think I would have been plagued by, oh my God, this is so crazy and hard. Yes, that it's almost like better to go in with blinders of like... It's better to go it's in gonna with be blinders amazing. Yeah, that's 
That's really interesting. For That's me. an interesting answer. Yeah. For me at least. Yeah. Cause then you can deal with it as it comes up. Like what else are you going to exactly. do? You got to deal with it. And you still have this amazing product and brand that you love and believe in without kind of like the fear going into it as much as I'm sure other people do. So that is really interesting. Can you walk us more through uh, the mindset when those setbacks happen? Like, how do you approach it when all that shit went down with the labels? Like, I'm sure the immediate thing is like, oh my God, what do I do now? But like, how how did you as uh, the founder move through that? What was your mindset like that you think helped you go get through it? There's no other option. Yeah. Like, there's no other option. We have to problem solve. Everything is temporary, joy and pain. And we're going to get past it. And that's it. Yeah. It's a great way to think of it, to just keep it going. I would love to discuss what you attribute the success of your company to. What was the thing that really you think propelled your brand to the next level, raised brand awareness? Like what really helped for Brightland? I think it was a mix of everything. I think it was luck. I think it was timing in the market. Like we launched at the end of 2018, kind of 2019, it was a less noisy time just in terms of everything. It was pre-COVID. I think it was timing. I think it was our packaging. I think it was our actual product. I think that it was um, our story, my story. I think that it was people resonating with it and trying it and then saying, oh my God, I'm going to buy it for myself or I'm going to buy it as gifts. It's like the perfect gift. So I think that that has really resonated. Because then if you're giving it as a gift and someone loves it, then they're passing it on. So then that love for the product and the brand sort of multiplies because the gifty and the gifter are so happy. I don't think it was one thing. I think it was all of those things. Yeah. Also as an outsider and fan of your product, like it, it totally is. It's obviously an amazing gift to give because it's so stunning. Everybody can use olive oil. It's a good, whether it's like for your in-laws, for your, you know, uh, what's it called? A hostess gift. Um, it's such a good gift for so many different things. And I, I do, I know from personal experience, once you start using it, it's not like you're like, okay, well just, you know, the bottle's out. I'm going to go back to the other olive oil. Like you, you don't want to go back to anything else once you start using it. So I think that that the product quality alone and, and what sets it apart from every other olive oil or pantry item out there is really what has made it so successful. And speaking of the branding and the design labels, I knew you mentioned that that was a factor. I think that's definitely a factor in just being able to set yourself apart, like especially with social media being so huge. Everybody wants to post your bottles. They're so stunning. So talk to me about the branding and design. Like truly everything is so, so curated and so beautiful from the Instagram account of the brand to each bottle. Can you talk about where you got your inspiration from and how are you making an olive oil company so stylish, honestly? <laughs> You're going to make me cry. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm, I'm also like my, my own hardest critic as we all are. And so, you know, it's never, it's never good enough. So sure. it's, yeah. Inspiration wise, I think we're, we were always and will continue to be inspired by culture, fashion, art, and interior design. And I think those four things, and I would put in fashion, I would put beauty in there too. So all of those things kind of coming together, that's what we look at to get inspiration for product design, anything to do with the brand. We don't really look at other food brands. We don't really look at the category. So we really spend a lot of time looking outside of it. And from an art standpoint, I was always like, how can we champion up and coming cool artists? 
And one way that we decided to do that, or like our own small way of making a mark was saying, what if we made Brightland bottles, some of them, like their own canvas, and let artists design their own labels? So we took our infused oil series. So it's like garlic oil, chili infused oil, basil infused oil, rosemary infused oil. And we partnered with artists for each of those labels. And so now it's like a lovely kind of merging of art and food on that end. And then our hero products, the two olive oils that we launched with originally, they don't have artist labels. The labels look exactly like how they looked from from launch. That was really inspired by the colors of California produce, like squash blossoms and heirloom tomatoes and star fruit and things like that. Yeah, that that's probably those, that's the, a that's good probably. list. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, because you very much get that feel, and and so especially being in California, you definitely pick that up just from the colors you use, from the designs. But I think it's so genius that you are showcasing these artists. Like everything you're doing about your branding is is truly genius, and it's it's an untapped way to have a brand because uh, it, it makes a lot of sense when you say that you're not comparing it to other food companies. That it's like you're pulling inspiration from art, from fashion, from beauty, from all these different areas because you can so tell that on the brand. What is the importance of making a food label something that maybe is is also aesthetically beautiful that has these elements of art? Like obviously, that's other people might think oh, I'm starting a food label as long as it's delicious and whatever, that's fine. What was it for you that made that piece of it so important? I mean, I think that the products we specifically were going into are the products that usually are sitting on your countertop or could sit on your countertop. I think maybe if I was starting like, if you know, flour company, sugar, baking soda, like maybe I wouldn't be that concerned with that. Maybe I would think about other ways to differentiate because you're also not, those products aren't going to sit on your countertop ever. Rarely, (laughs) very rarely. Right, right. If you're organized, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I think with us, um, I think with our products, it just made, made a lot of sense. And I was inspired by the beauty industry talking about like the bathroom shelfies. I was inspired by Aesop and Lalabo. And um, yeah, I really wanted our bottles to be like the Lalabo for the kitchen. Right. You want to gift something beautiful. So then that's where the, the gifting element comes in. But that's so true too, that you want something like that is going to look pretty sitting out that you're going to want to showcase instead of it just like looks like junk on your counter. So it totally makes sense that for something like olive oil and even for honey, you know, some people like, like to leave their honey out near their, you know, tea setup or whatever that it's, it, that you want something, people will buy something and care about something that it, it has that, uh, aesthetic element. I for sure do. I want to post about it on Instagram and show off how chic my olive oil is. So it, it totally makes sense. For the novice chefs out there, how do you like to use the products? Do you have like favorite recipes or do you kind of recommend keeping them on their own, like in salad dressings or dipped in bread? How do you use them? I use them in everything. Like, of course, panzanella salads, just simple salads. Like if you grab arugula, Parmesan, add some of our champagne vinegar and add some of our lemon infused olive oil. That's all you need. And it adds a lot of magic. Maybe throw in a handful of pistachios for some crunch. It's like so delicious. Um, I love adding our olive oils to ice cream. I think that's such a fun way to jazz things up with a little bit of sea salt on top. 
It's crazy. It's like insane. It's so good. That sounds phenomenal. It's so good. And then my latest thing has been taking our chili infused olive oil and making brownies or chocolate cake. So then it has this like spicy kick and you're not using butter. You replace it with the olive oil, like chili olive oil. That's like it's next level. And I, I made a cake recently for some friends and they were, they kept being like, this is, this is outrageous tasting. You are blowing my mind a little bit. That is <laughs> such a good idea. And it, like, I would never think of that, like to have a chili infused. So it's not like the obvious, like there's this huge amount of spice to it, but it has that little kick exactly. and that, exactly. and I, I love that it's so creative too. Like it's not, that's why I'm, I'm glad I asked you this question because with olive oil and even with vinegar too, it's like, okay, do you just use it like any other way you would use a normal olive oil? Like, are you putting it in your pan and cooking veggies with it? Or are there other ways because your olive oil has so much flavor in it that you can utilize it to uh, kind of like increase your experience? Yeah, max. Yeah, a hundred percent. So I am obsessed with those ideas. That is like so smart. And what about like your vinegars? Is there any like favorite recipe that you have? The Mm. salad dressing sounds amazing. Anything else you love? Salad dressing's great. And then for the champagne vinegar, again, I love actually like using it as a shrub in cocktails. Or if you're just not, if you're not drinking or if you're, it's like the afternoon and you don't feel like having a drink yet, you can just take like boring LaCroix, like kind of like your sparkling water and then throw in a splash of this champagne vinegar in there and add some ice cubes. And it's this like really magical, citrusy, kind of luxurious, drink that you've made yourself or for friends, like it's so nice and elegant. Oh my gosh. Again, that was another like mind blow to put that in a cocktail. That is so smart. And I I love that kind of message too about it, that it's about being playful and creative and almost like gourmet, but in a very easy way. Like it's not complicated to put this beautiful olive oil on your ice cream. That's not hard at all. Anyone can do that, but that it's elevating the experience you can give yourself. And it's, it's kind of like, like everyone's really obsessed with the idea, you know, of like romanticizing the little things now. Like for me, that's very much what your brand is doing is romanticizing those little moments that we can have in our day to day. So those are such amazing tips. You do have such on your website, there's such amazing, like drill worthy recipes. So I knew you'd have some like good insight into how you can use those because they're so good. So just a plug for anyone else you would be shocked to know that this amazing olive oil company also has amazing recipes. So go check out their website because they're all delicious looking. So last question before we wrap up, you're obviously very in touch with your well-being and knowing what products, the quality of products to put into your body. But I'd imagine you're also extremely busy running a whole company. So is there any tips that you have for you know keeping up with a work-life balance or is there any self-care tips that you swear by? Yeah, it's putting your phone away. For me, it's putting my phone away after like 8 or 9 p.m. I'll put my phone in a different room. And that way then even if I'm watching TV or if I'm reading, it's just not a part of my life. Like I'm not unnecessarily scrolling on it and I'm not absorbing other people's energy. And on the weekends, usually I'll pick a day that I'm not on my phone at all, like Saturday or Sunday. And I'll go on a hike without my phone and I'll wear a watch instead. Or I'll, if I'm with someone else, I'll ask them if they can bring their phone for Google Maps so that I don't have to bring mine. So just trying to stay away from my phone because I think that it's so, so real that we 
stand in line or waiting for an elevator and we're just scrolling and looking at stuff. And someone told me that like we're absorbing more imagery than humans have ever in the past. And I don't know what that's doing. But to me, I think it scrambles my brain a little bit. So in order to, again, get some clarity, I like to take a break from the phones. That's probably my biggest one. And then it's the other stuff that I think is like that everyone talks about, like drinking a lot of water and trying to exercise as often as possible, like eating well, like all of those things. But the phone piece of it isn't talked about enough. And or to me, at least it doesn't feel like people practice it enough. And I'm really trying. I love the way you're talking about it too, that it's like absorbing other people's energy. And it's like, you're being hit with so much information. And like, like, I'm sure even being a founder of a company, there's probably a lot of people asking things from you and, and a lot of things to be checking. So, so to have those boundaries, not only just because it's like, that's what we should do. And it's, good for your sleep or whatever, but it's because you're absorbing other people's energies. And I've heard that advice, especially, you know, on this podcast, doing the the wellness section on the Every Girl. Experts will say, take time away from your phone. I've never been like fully dedicated until you explaining it that way. So thank you selfishly because that really clicked for me. So Ash, do you mind if we wrap up with some rapid fire questions real quick? Your favorite Brightland product to gift. Mm, my favorite Brightland product to gift is our infused mini essentials or our mini mini essentials, the perfect gift box this holiday season. They're such good ones and they're in our gift guide. So everyone go check it out. Um, what is your favorite recipe to cook with your products? Oh my gosh, everything. But lately I would say it's, um, there's a spicy pasta that I make using our garlic olive oil and it's fin- and Calabrian chilies. And it's really fantastic. You are like making my mouth water this for sure. I've, my mouth has never watered so much in a podcast episode before. So <laughs> that sounds so good. Is that the, do you have the recipe on the site on your website? We do. Okay. I'll I was going to say, I think I saw that earlier. I know I have yeah. to, that sounds so good. Oh my God. Spicy pasta. Okay. Go to hack that has helped automate your life or made your life easier in some way. Mm, I use superhuman for email and that definitely helps with email overload and just I'm able to move through email really quickly because of Wait, it. That's is it and that's an app? It's an app, yeah. Okay. Oh my god, that sounds amazing. Great tip. Okay, all time favorite movie and why? Ooh. I'm at a tie. My tie is between Gladiator and the Father of the Bride which couldn't be more different. I know those are vastly different. (laughs) Super different, but they sum up my personality in a nutshell. I love Father of the Ride with Steve Martin. Like, that's it. That's the one. And then Gladiator, like I just think is like such a phenomenal, like it just rips me up every time I see it. And I I don't even know what to say. I, I get speechless. It's so well done. Oh my gosh. That, that actually is the perfect full circle of, I think you being young and wanting different jobs when you grow up to like now these two movies that you love so much are like very vastly different. It does summarize in the most perfect way, but there, I totally agree with you. There are such good ones. I watch father of the bride every year on my birthday. Cause it's my favorite movie of all time. So mm-hmm. I am with you. It's so good. Okay. Last question. Leave our audience with a tool, a podcast, a book, a TV show, a documentary, any recommendation that has changed your life or resonated with you. Ooh, I'm, I have the comfort book. I don't know who wrote it, but it's called the comfort book and it's blue and you can find it. And I have it sitting by my bed and I read a few pages in the morning and a few pages at night. 
and I've gifted it to friends and everyone like it's it's really really a beautiful insightful thoughtful book that'll help you regulate help you calm down and slow down and is really truly comforting so I highly recommend that sounds awesome okay Ash thank you so much you're such hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com an inspiration truly your story is incredible your products are incredible so thank you so much for coming on and talking to me where can everyone find you and where can they shop brightland so i'm at hello aishwarya on instagram for brightland it's we are brightland and then to shop brightland it's brightland.co and we like we said you know um perfect holiday hosting and uh perfect holiday gift all in all. So, so excited to see y'all come and shop. Thank you so much for having me, Josie. Thank you so much to the Every Girl team and happy holidays. Happy holidays. Don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts for your chance to win Brightland Signature Olive Oils, as well as the citrus-infused champagne vinegar and blackberry-infused balsamic vinegar. Talk to you next week. Bye.